following program may contain coarse language, suggested dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. Welcome to an episode of the Tanami Faithful Podcast. Here as a uh, unexpected but delightful host, I am Kuro. With me, I have your regular Tanami Faithful Podcast host, Sketch, and also <laughs> a guest, a guest who uh, was a previous cast member. I, I should say, a podcast member. Yeah, Celia Rose, former director of social media, Tanami Faithful, and we are so happy to have her. And the reason she is uh, recording with us tonight is because we have some news. Yashahime season two will be coming to the block actually on the 31st. So at the time of this recording, that will be the following Saturday. And while I'm sure many of you recall the the roast recording that Celia, (laughs) CJ and uh, Vilor did last, um, I'm hoping we can get, I'm optimistically hoping uh, we'll have a bit more of a balanced you. But before we talk about Yashahime, um, we have other news. Primal season two has been announced. And at, again, at the time of this recording, it will be airing uh, the premiere tomorrow at midnight. Um, you've been watching the uh, <laughs> the recent sort of, I don't want to say slump, but slump that the block has been in. We've been seeing the, the replay of Primal season one. So if you missed it, you could rewatch it, which I did because I loved the show. Uh, the last season ended on a cliffhanger with Sphere uttering a word for the very first time, the name Mira, which was the character we were introduced to at the end of the last episode. Well, during the last episode, she was a speaking part, which was the first on the show. And when at the end, when the, the cliffhanger occurs, we see her sailing away with a group of humans and they have shoes and they have weapons. And it sort of begs the question of what other civilization exists in the world of primal. Um, big theme, of course, is breaking that wall of, of silence, which I actually had some mixed feelings about. I, I had written about how much I enjoyed the way, how artfully they used silence to... Um, find other ways of communicating, like the visually striking imagery, the the emphasis on emotion and desperation of each situation by using this artfully done violence, I would say. And I'm not normally a, a, a fan of very graphic, violent shows, but either either I'm being converted or maybe it's just, if it's done well, you know, I like it. So, so I think this, from what I've seen from the, from the season two, um, what what they've aired so far, uh, the teasers, they're just so enticing. It looks like we'll have some interesting new monsters. Um, I love the the Megalodon one. I'm really excited for that. And then of course, the, the possibility of interacting with other civilizations. And I think it'll be interesting to see the challenge that Sphere encounters with how how is how is his expression going to be affected by interacting with these 
speaking parts and how will um, Tartakovsky address, you know, what he's so far done as a primarily silent show, how will he find a way to balance this expression? So I don't know, I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts. Sketch, we'll start with you. I'm very excited for season two. I'm glad that Toonami is getting the encores. It would have been nicer if they got the premieres, but we'll take what we can get. Um, you know, if you missed the Thursday episode, it's, it's right there on Toonami just a few days later. Also on HBO Max. So uh, if you haven't seen season one, you can still catch up. You can watch that on HBO Max right now and you'll get all caught up uh, if you didn't watch the Toonami run or see it prior. Uh, I, I uh, saw some articles regarding this because they're they're hyping it up pretty well mm-hmm. and uh, it's been described that this upcoming season will be more story driven more more of a story arc like one long story over the 10 episodes which is a departure from the previous season which was largely episodic and kind of just a couple of uh lost warriors wandering because they don't really have anywhere else to go so now they have obviously a goal to try and rescue mira and who knows what they'll come in contact with on the way to do that it could get wrapped up in the first two episodes maybe even the first or it could span much longer but it sounds like the story itself will be connected throughout those 10 episodes and i'd like uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. Uh, so far, I really liked the first season. I think it is uh, beautiful storytelling. Um, the style is to my liking. Might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I I definitely like the the visuals. Uh, I love the use of sound and music as opposed to dialogue. It's a it's a very interesting experience. So I am a little concerned about adding more dialogue, but you know, Samurai Jack a lot of times didn't have dialogue, and sometimes it did, mm-hmm. and it was able to balance that just fine. So I think there's really nothing to worry about in that regard. But we'll see. We we will see. Uh, regardless, I'm very excited that it will be on Toonami and that the, the second season is finally here because I've been eagerly anticipating it for a while. Yeah, and we predicted it was going to probably air sometime this summer. We were yeah. hoping it would be sooner, but we'll take it. <laughs> and then I took a look at the schedule and said, okay, so it will take this many weeks to finish season one on Toonami, and they're starting it literally the Thursday after. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you've been pretty much I feel like we we've had we've talked about this before, Scout, where you've been so good about predicting some of the trends. <laughs> I didn't bet on the hour here, that's so, for sure. Yeah, well, well. Um I, I think I think one of the things that I really loved about this show, and even though it was so violent and there was a lot of gore, um sometimes Oh boy it was they, sometimes gore is used just as a as an animation style. Uh, choice of the artist, but I think it it communicated in in the context of the show the brutality and the tragedy of this world and how creatures have to survive at the expense of others and and it creates a really um, strong sense of sympathy like with Fang for example I I think Fang's 
I mean, she's a dinosaur, but she's very sympathetic. We anthropomorphize her um, as as viewers. But I will admit that not everybody will find this style of storytelling or, or uh, animation appealing. Uh, CJ, what, I mean, CJ, Celia, what were your thoughts on Primal and what do you think about season two? Primal wasn't really my cup of tea. I watched the first episode and that was it for me. Uh, but I think if you're already a fan of Gendy Tartakovsky's works uh, and the other projects that he's done, then you'll probably enjoy season two Primal as well. Yeah. Probably. Mm -hmm. Hey, apparently uh, Gendy recently got a deal with uh, Warner Brothers Cartoon Network to, you know, kind of have free reign to make the kinds of shows he wants, which is exciting. Uh, but he's still doing uh, at least one more movie for Sony. It's going to be a raunchy adult targeted comedy about a dog that is about to get uh, its tubes tied. <laughs> and what the dog will do before that happens, which is an interesting plot line that could be explored in amusing ways. Mm -hmm. You you yeah. never know like what's going on in his mind. I think he's he's got such a depth of creativity there, and what even just within one show within Primal, I you know I can't ever predict where that show is going to go. So let alone what he's going to do with with any of his other projects um by the way we are uh going to be joined in a moment here by cj um cj we're talking about primal season two which although it won't be airing on toonami we'll be doing the um replays and what we thought about season one and how we feel about season two so love to hear what your thoughts are what did you think we, we talked a little bit about the, the, the brutality, the violence, how visually striking it is, and then this unexpected turn of having Spear speak for the first time and how that might impact the plot in the future. So love to hear what you think. Uh, can you hear me first? Yes, I can. Okay, hear you. good. <laughs> you never want to be like muted and you're like, oh no, they can't hear me. This isn't good. <laughs> um, I was pleasantly surprised by Primal. Um, I think due to your article about primal really gave me a good kind of feel and insight as to what to expect uh i wouldn't say i'm a like huge fanboy of uh gendy but i like uh i like his work don't get me wrong so it's like i kind of went at it with an open mind like okay it's not samurai jack which is obviously my favorite of his work and it's like okay let's let's see how this goes let's see how it is you know um and I'm very much a fan of how powerful uh, nonverbal cues can be. So I really like that Primal really touches on that. I think it's really a smart choice. And I think that's why so many people, especially in the inner circles of animation, uh, kind of look at him as very kind of kind of like a genius in what he wants to tell a story and how he wants to tell it. So I, 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 ge I genuinely see why this series was uh as decorated as it has been so and this has been my first time really watching it uh helping out on the social side of it um and i really really been enjoying it more so than i honestly thought i would so i, I like it i like it a lot um i really enjoy the type of 
methods that they are using to tell a story because for the first like right at the end of season one is when we hear spear talk for the first time like sure he screams Mm -hmm. he can you know point he can like be like but we finally hear him utter his first word and you know the story for mirror was so powerful for me anyway just watching and like seeing what she was at least depicting in the pictures that she was drawing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I really like it. And you know, the, the dynamic between fear, uh, spear and Fang is really cute. I found it enjoyable, especially because it's like they're working together because of shared trauma. And that's mm-hmm. a very, very powerful and enjoyable type of, um, kind of way to earn some pathos for characters, especially ones that you can't connect in a, traditional sense of like hearing what they think or them expressing themselves and while they do that they don't do it in a conventional way so it was able to kind of allow you know someone like myself really really uh connect watching both of them because i mean when there was times where you're like oh shit are they gonna die and i know obviously because there's a second season it's like well it would be quite the finale if they did um so it it definitely led me to believe like hey this is pretty suspenseful it's pretty cool uh, so I, yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised and I'm really, really happy that Toonami is literally going to wait, what, three days before they get to show it. I think that's really good. I really enjoy that. And I can't wait to see what, uh, Spear, Spear and Fang do, uh, with Mira, you know, taken away. Cause they, they, at first were kind of like, I don't know if we like this person. Now we like her. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. I like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. You should definitely check out Curl's article about it. If you're curious about because um, that's that was really my only kind of gateway into the series. Like I, I know so much, and I know you were a big, or you probably still are a big fan of it. So um, I, I can't, you know, stress enough how much that really helped me kind of get used to it. Because one of my most impactful moments in animation for me is Samurai Jack when he's finally lost his shit. He's pissed off. He's just hacking and slashing robots, and he just screams, "Who else wants them?" Mm-hmm. That was like the only thing he said, and it's like how powerful because Jack doesn't really express himself that loudly. So it's kind of like one of those things where I really like how Gendy's able to do these projects to where you get that same emotional impact with very uh, with a few words said compared to like when you, you know, another emotional thing that I really liked was Rem's speech to Subaru back in Ray Zero season one. It was so impactful. It was beautiful. And there was a lot of words in there, not as much as, you know, the kind of nonverbal stuff. So it's, it's nice to see kind of the other side of the spectrum be able to get that type of reaction from myself. Yeah, and and it's it's funny that you mentioned that about about the article because I I will be honest and I've said this before I'm really not a fan of of just straight brutality and violence and gore and animation I mean we definitely discussed my dislike of Tokyo Ghoul as a prime example um, but I am a fan of creative animation and storytelling and I think that this does such a great job of of doing that and it and it's it's it was something unique i mean and and this isn't such it isn't really a traditional you know in, in primal world like the, he's putting together tartakovsky puts together elements that you wouldn't actually see and which gives you that that benefit of the animation you can you can be that kind of creative you can you can have these monkey people you can have a caveman you can have a dinosaur you can have the, these these witch this witch tribe, druids, whatever, and they can all be living in this same world, um, but it still looks something like what we have. Um, and but but I will say I think that 
one of the biggest draws for, for viewers is probably the brutality and the violence because one of the most popular episodes is the zombie episode where I think it's a brontosaurus or a brachiosaurus is, is going a bit crazy with some kind of zombie infection and our heroes are a virus. Avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I will, I, while I admit that it, it wouldn't normally be something I would seek out. Um, I found that, that I'm, I, I'm, it's appealing to me when there is something new and different. Um, so on that note, um, if you want to see it, it'll be airing at midnight on Thursdays. And at, again, at the time of this recording, that will be tomorrow night, will premiere um, with the uh, replays on Toonami. We hope you watch both, but actually, I just hope you watch. Just just watch it and do the talkbacks, please, because I like hearing from people what they think. I mean, obviously, it has some level of popularity, but... Uh, really want to hear those talkbacks guys when we give you that hashtag it's not just so we can have tweets you know we're interested in your thoughts um so on that note we're here actually to talk about yashahime and uh despite my constant bugging of sketch that you know let's talk about season one let's talk about season one by the time it we had a point where we could it was it's kind of late and there was no no need to do so so i guess with this announcement of season two about to air. <laughs> I was literally holding off until they announced season two. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. That was the reason. Um, I, I, no, I, that really was. So I, <laughs> there was at least a part of me before I finished the, the season that was like, I kind of hope they don't announce it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yoshihime fans that are... No doubt, very happy that season two is coming to Toonami, finally. Good yeah, for you. Okay, so this is actually perfect, a perfect introduction to how this topic is going to go. Small <laughs> listeners, I am the only person out of the four of us here that really enjoyed the show. And while I am in the minority on the, on the call, I will say, and, and Celia, you can attest to it, that it was a bit of an audience favorite. Um, you were at the running the social media at the time, what do you remember about, you know, what, what people were saying, the kind of feedback you were getting, the tweets you were seeing, all that, that jazz? Yeah, so at the time when this was airing on Toonami, it started airing in June, I believe, um, and then wrapped up in November before it fumbled the season finale airing, because there were some mistakes with that one. And I remember that before it had uh, started airing on Toonami, that I watched the first season in Japanese. And did not like it <laughs> at all. So, you know, going into it, I was like, I guess there are other people who are going to be like me, like they're going to see the quality of this. And as the weeks go on, you know, feedback is going to get increasingly more negative, uh, kind of like in the way that like Food Wars had gone or like some of the other shows where the, you could see that the quality of the storytelling was just taking a real big nosedive, right? Mm -hmm. But surprisingly, at least from what I remember, when I was doing the live tweeting with CJ and Steven, people really liked this show. At least people who were live tweeting and interacting with Tsunami Faithful uh, tweets about it. And there yeah. were some points where I'm like, are we watching the same show right now? <laughs> because you're celebrating things going on the screen right now that I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> you know, it's just because of the... Folks. Yeah, I guess. Like, I understand being blinded by bias 
because I love Inuyasha. It's been one of my favorite series since I was 12 years old, both the manga and the anime. Uh, Sashomaru is my number one husbando, and it has been since I was 12. So, so I understand where you're like watching this stuff because you're like, oh, I love these characters or, oh, I love this show. But I think because I love them so much, Yashihime like just fell flat in so many ways that it didn't work for me. But I guess for other people who love it just as much as I do, they were just eating it up. This was the sequel that they had been waiting for, even though that wasn't the case for me. Yeah. Well, you actually bring up a, a good point that the, the bias of being a big fan of Inuyasha, it can actually affect the viewer in both ways. It can make you more inclined to, to, to be a fan because you think, oh, these are familiar characters. This is a familiar setting. And I really love the first show. Or have the opposite reaction, which is have the expectation be so high because you have such a great experience from the first show that it, this this couldn't possibly measure up. Um, and I I think that that's kind of what's happening here. Obviously, I want to give credit to to you and to CJ and Sketch, and then to, to our audience that you know they have their own reasons. I mean, I know I have my own reasons um, for liking the show, and and I but I'm not blind to some of its faults in the storytelling. Um, so, so since we didn't have a chance to really get into season one, I mean, I feel like you guys were really thorough in your roast and, and to the point of actually, cause you had all watched it before it aired. And, and so uh, <laughs> if, I suppose like if you haven't heard the podcast, you can go back. It's titled, um, did anyone ask for this? And it, it is kind of amusing, but I made I, that as I a joke. So I wasn't being <laughs> that serious. It was more so because of what Celia V Lord and James were talking about. I actually did not. This, watching it on Tanami was my first experience, to okay. be fair. So I only did that because I'm like, guys, is it really as bad? Because I follow James uh, and I enjoy his snark. Uh, and like his writings for the reviews were impeccable uh, uh, for anime. James Beckett. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I enjoy like it, like I enjoy the snark that he can kind of give with shows that he might not be having as much fun with uh, watching. And then like he can do like amazing glowing work for like Megalobox Nomad. Right. Uh, I really just enjoyed uh, kind of his tone, I guess you could say, with his writing. And I'm just like, please tell me there's some hope. Please tell me there's some. I'm I'm sucking on that copium right now. Please tell me there's something kind of thing. <laughs> but I did go at it with an open mind at least when I first experienced it because I don't know what it is, but Inuyasha the series itself didn't quite mesh with me when I was young and watching it. Um, I saw it in bits and pieces. I never really saw it like thorough and complete. So I do need to rewatch. I have all the DVDs for it, so I should. I definitely want to because uh, you know yeah. that's. That's, you know, that's like anime CJ where I'm like staying up for however late watching Adult Swim because, you know, whatever's on. And then it's like Inuyasha. It's like, oh, sweet. This is cool. So I, I will anime say anime royalty. I would it say. is. And I but I did not watch Yashihimi ahead of time. And I was I definitely will admit that I was probably influenced a little more through more so Celia's words than anyone else, just because I worked with her with the socials <laughs> part of it. But it was more so just because we always enjoyed like ribbing each other more than anything. Yeah. I do like to say I like to, I, I did have some hope for it. And I actually don't think overall it's the worst thing in the world, believe it or not. Um, there are some things and, and I can talk about it later. Don't, don't worry. But there were some things that I think that was a bit conflicting with how I thought uh, the series was going to go compared to um, what I initially was going in with it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, so let's um, let's do a brief overview for those of you. Who it's it's been a while. I mean, essentially, it's it's been a year. Um, so I thought I think it's probably a good opportunity to just review what went on. And I'm just going to briefly touch on the high points because it, it's 24 episodes and ain't no one got time for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> Doa and her sister Setsuna, um, they're young and they're living happily in the woods alone. Uh, something that you could only see in animation. They must be about four years old. <laughs> it's it's a little comical, actually. Uh, when a fire breaks out, they're half it's, demons. It's, it's okay; they'll survive. Sure, sure. I don't I don't know what they're doing for really shelter aside from caves or food or, or water, but but it's working out for them because anime logic. Um, a fire breaks out and the twins are separated, and through this. Through the course of events, Toa is pulled into a portal of a tree, which we learn is the tree of ages, and it sucks her into the future. And of course, in the future, there is Sota, Kagome's brother, and he adopts her and raises her as a member of his own family. Uh, ten years pass, and then the story shifts back to the past, where we're with Setsuna. She's fighting alongside the demon slayers with Hisui, who is Miroku and Sango's son, and Kohaku. Uh, we're also introduced to Moroha, who we discover is Inuyasha and Kagome's daughter. Um, though it's it's pretty obvious, it, it's interesting because through the story, really quickly in the first and second episodes, we're told through a, a plot device that Setsuna and Toa are daughters of Sushomaru and that Kagome and that Kagome and Inuyasha's daughter is Moroha. But it, it's it's pretty obvious from the from the characteristics, and that's if you haven't seen, of course, the advertisements, which kind of give that all away. Moroha definitely looks like the daughter of Kikomi and Inuyasha. Oh yeah, that's great animation, by the way. I really, I love that. It's it's a nice little detail where they have the children look like their parents. Right. Well, the the girls were de uh, designed by Rumiko Takahashi. That was her direct involvement with the show. Was their character designs. So that's why, like, their look is so stands out more than anyone else i think mm -hmm. um Rob. but but as far as i know that's the really the only direct involvement that rumiko takahashi had oh really was, she, she didn't even uh design like any of the major bad guys nope wow <laughs> well it's a pretty important and striking visual because it it makes that strong connection to the inu yasha uh world and mm -hmm. the history and the, the mythology. So I, I think that even if that is the only thing she contributed, um, it is a significant contribution. Well, the other thing too, though, that you have to remember is that she contributed the original story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she did not contribute to the story in this show. And it shows so, like the, the contrast between how the character development unfolds and how the plot unfolds as a mm -hmm. slow burn in the original series is so different than what goes on in Yashahime. And like when you look at the Japanese staff credits on Anime News Network, you have four people that are working on the script underneath the series composition. Uh, I forget, it's not director. But anyways, the guy who does series composition, Katsuyuki Sumisawa, that's a lot of people who are writing a story all at once. Which and when you show, it definitely shows. Right? You can it's feel boring. that in the way the plot meanders <laughs> and like pulls back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, and again, like Takahashi is one of my favorite manga artists. I love all, almost all of her stuff. Mm -hmm. 
and her talent as a storyteller comes through when you're adapting her work. But because you don't have that basis to go off of and it, mm, it just lacks that extra bit of charisma. Mm -hmm. There were some scenarios in Yashihime that were pulled from the Inuyasha manga that weren't adapted for TV. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, the demon on the mountain with the half-demon children. I can't remember his name right now. But that's a scenario from the manga that Inuyasha... I think so, yeah. Um, Inuyasha, Kagome, and and their friends all face that demon. But it wasn't adapted for TV. So for Yashihime, they took that scenario and just replaced Inuyasha and his friends with the three girls. But it doesn't make sense for their characters and where they're at in their journey versus where Inuyasha and the others were at at that point in the manga so it just doesn't fit it doesn't mm, it doesn't feel like a natural story yeah well speaking of story pacings uh story pacing uh things progress fairly quickly right up front we're introduced to several demon foes um, we're introduced to the concept of the rainbow pearls which sort of has this allusion to the shikan jewel um, the rainbow pearls are embedded in the eyes of the part demon girls and a smattering of other characters. And then suddenly um, Setsuna and um, Moroha get sucked into the future with Toa. So we're under the impression, okay, so now we have this, this sort of reverse Inuyasha. But initially, at least, that's what it seems like. Um, Toa recognizes her sister and unlocks her half-demon powers. Setsuna has no memory of her. And again... Um, fast track plot, uh, they realize, oh, she's she's lost her memories and she's being haunted by something called the, the dream butterfly. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's a good story there. It was just really rushed right up front, I have to say. So I, I will admit, you know, that right off the bat, like you're given, you're kind of given an info dump, um, which is, yeah, that that I think that speaks to what you were referring to with having when you have multiple writers working on this one storyline that can be a, a, a something that comes out across comes across through the animation. Um, so anyway, instead of staying in the in the uh, in the future and this being what we thought initially would be, oh, this is a reverse Inuyasha, um, Tree of Ages takes them back in time. Um, while they're crossing over, the tree takes the form of Kikyo and implores them to defeat the demon Kirin Maru. Uh, and then, of course, we see we see Rin. It's it's sort of heavily implied up front that Rin Rin might be their mother, um, and we learn later that yes, she is she is their mother. Uh, which I I gotta say, like there was a part of me that finds that kind of cringe because she was essentially raised by Sashomaru. But whatever, Japanese anime logic. Okay, let's go. With and at it. least she was eighteen when they were born. Oh my god. Uh, uh, right. Barely. Yeah. Barely. But the grooming. The, if you do the math. The grooming. Uh, well, there's, there's a lot of drama right up front though with this family situation. Like Sashromaru is off doing his own thing. He's always off doing his own thing. But like, I'm. It's really unclear what his contribution is meant to be to the story until very late, and even then, it is not here. <laughs> his contribution is his demon seed. God. <laughs> I knew we were going to get crude. <laughs> I have so many feelings. But, like, okay, obviously I have a lot of feelings about the show in general, but, like, 
because the character, I, like the characterization for Sashomaru is so inconsistent in Yashihime that everything he does doesn't make sense because yeah. it's not who he is. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. who is this person? He doesn't even have the same face. CJ knows how many times I complained about round face Sashomaru. It's his they, best like, design yet. They moified him. He's supposed to be beautiful. And he is not in this show. It's a crime against all humanity. Anyways. Um, yeah. But yeah, like <laughs> the things that he's doing just don't make sense at all. It's not him. Hashtag yeah, not I, my Sashomaru. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and even, even as the story progresses, his motivations aren't clear. And I, I guess I was under the impression that it's something it's meant to be sort of mysterious and unfold across multiple storylines. And it wasn't, it, we were meant to sort of be drawn in by like, why is he doing this? What is, why is he staying out of his daughter's lives? Why didn't he raise them? And all these other things. And then him, him sort of popping in and out of the story at random. I mean, he, he did that in Inuyasha, but it seemed like him popping in and out of the story then was more purposeful. Whereas here, it seems like we don't, know the reasons why even as the story's unfolding so i can i can appreciate as a viewer and as a fan that being a frustrating experience but i will say i sort of experienced it as okay there's motivations behind this character we don't know but in any case yeah. lots and lots of family drama right off the bat um so we have rin who's asleep we don't know whether that's going to be part of the story we have a demon they're supposed to defeat which None of the girls have any interest in doing. It's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> They're all like, "No, we're not going to do that." And um, and then they just trick the demons so that they can get back to the past. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, some demon fighting happens. There's there's a little bit of a monster of the week. There's a little bit of some plot development and storytelling. We get some return characters, Mioga. Kilala, of course, who is the best character, uh, hands down. And I, I will fight anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> we see Kat Kaede all in her sassy old lady form. And then we get some some new characters, uh, the demon Kirimaru and his demon cohorts, which are known as the Four Apparels, um, who sort of become the primary antagonists of the series, aside from an, a smattering of Monsters of the Week. Um, and then the mysterious Riku, he, he sometimes appears to help Toa on some of her quests, but then he will, behind her back, sort of act in a contrary way. And, um, and then as the series progresses, we learn that he is a devoted servant of um, Kirimaru's sister. Uh, Riku's a kind of an interesting character. I, I'm actually curious to see uh, what you think, what your interpretation of him was, CJ, because I, I'm, is he a son of Kirimaru? Is he a clone? Like, we get we get a lot of hints that he smells similarly to him, but we don't like what is what do you think his connection to this group is? I really it's tough for me to say because when it came to Yashahime stuff, I let Celia handle most of it more, more <laughs> because well, no, 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 I not because I didn't like it necessarily. I, I Celia could attest to our messages of when we were working on it together for me what it's tough for me to try to make any type of conclusions from it because mm -hmm. I have so little knowledge of the previous series 
And it just it feels like that hinders me more than anything when it came to like trying to make any connections. Because when Celia Celia could literally say, oh, yeah, by the way, this is Inuyasha's like half brother uh, and not show. You know, it could be like his half brother, twice removed uncle. They used to meet each other back in episode 135 of Inuyasha. Be like, OK, sold. All right. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I, I'll do there's that. Honestly, not that much of that. <laughs> no, there's, it doesn't. Well, there's a little bit, but like. Mm-hmm. There are like lore things that it requires you to kind of know. But at the yeah. same time, the show presents itself as you're fine if you haven't watched Inuyasha, which is a complete lie, because you have to know something about the original series to understand what's going on in universe for this show. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem with it, where it's like my knowledge of the previous series is so limited to that. Kuro, every single character you just named, I would have just been like, wait, was that? Were, were they friends with Toa, Setsuna, and Morha? I don't remember. You know what I mean? Like, that's how much my brain kind of turned off when trying to make connections with the series, only because I wasn't sure if it was something that was connected within Yashihime's world itself or with the previous series. So I I was left feeling very confused. Ilala is the cat. What, how could you not know this? I'm saying it's There's my a cat? character. Kilala is the cat. I don't even remember <laughs> the cat. All right, oh to be geez. fair, Kirara does look more like a fox sometimes, especially was in the it, low form. Was it the, the animal? Cat. Was it the animal that was around Mohara all the time? No, that's one of the Tanuki. Uh, okay. Kilala Ta- Ta- is... Takamichi? Is that the name of I don't yeah. Tanuki? I, yeah, I, I like think I said, Takamichi. I legit don't remember. The not shippo. But you say the but you say there, there was a the cat in the ocean. I, I don't remember a cat in this series at all. Oh my god. Well, and Kilala really was around when Hisui was around. Mm-hmm. And like Setsuna used her sometimes just because she grew up with the with you know Moroku's family. But uh yeah, like she was one of the characters that I think got more screen time than the others from the original series. But if you weren't paying attention, didn't know you were supposed to pay attention to her, she was you a form of transportation. <laughs> yep. I just do that as the Tanuki as the form of trip. Oh my god, I'm so lost. No. <laughs> this is the one that doesn't <laughs> talk was, back. I mean I mean Tanuki was a form of transportation. Right. No, I See, they like... had to have multiple options, okay? A demon for every event. Listen, Kilala's been around for a long time. Yeah. The big well, thing. So for is me. the the family cat of the uh, of uh, Kagome's family. My gosh. Oh yeah, Buyo is still alive and kicking. Um, the other, what's funny about Kilala too is that in the original series, in like season one, they actually imply that Kilala was like a guardian for mm-hmm. the woman that the Shikon Jewel was first born from thousands of years prior to the story of Inuyasha. Yeah, that was one of my favorite lore elements. And when yeah. they when they find that statue, how the, it's sort of there's there's some movement, and I, I loved that. They didn't touch any more on it, but they gave you just enough for it to be enticing that Kiwala is more than what she seems. And I, I wish they did more of that. That sounds actually so interesting. What the it hell? Is. See, yeah, that's well, why you watch. should watch the original series. Yeah, I'm, it's not necessarily like oh I hate it. I'm never gonna watch it. It's going to happen. Because I have to see that Monster of the Week character that shows up once and everyone's like in love with her. That's like in episode five or something. I don't remember. Oh, Yura of the Demon Hair. Mm, yeah. Yep, I, don't, I don't understand. She was in one episode and everyone's like, nope, she's you mine. Know why? I'm just like, it's because she's a baddie. Look at her. Like, oh, listen, Celia, there's only she was, one. <laughs> she was Bayonetta before Bayonetta. There's only one oh character God. of this series that I care a lot, a lot about, and that's Morha. That's it. 
I love her. She's my daughter. Fuck you and you, Yasha. She's my daughter. She's a cutie. I love well, okay. her. Okay, so so then I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a minute. Um, sketch. What did you think Riku was like? What oh, I'm glad you asked about Riku. Um, yeah. Maybe he's like a Shikigami, but they have actual Shik like Konton summon Shikigamis at points. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe he's like a homunculus or something. I don't think he's a a clone. He doesn't look very much like his master. So well, his he's, master's wearing a mask for 90% of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he takes it off, he doesn't really look like... I mean, the character designs are close enough, I guess. But I don't think he's supposed to look like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know. I I do think that uh, Kinyamaru created him. But yeah. I'm not, not quite sure what what he is. He or seems why he to, was created. yeah. He seems to uh, value Zero much more than his actual creator and also seems to like Toa. But that seems to go against something else that at, at some point, and I might be mixing him up with Kontone because I know Kontone doesn't like half demons. But I feel like at some point Riku was like, humans and demons should not mix. Yet he seems to like Toa. Well, she's a half demon in all fairness yeah yeah but that's the thing that he doesn't doesn't like (laughs) yeah Uh, okay so so i'm really glad you brought this up so Um, i think there's a inconsistency in his characterization and motives yeah yeah and like the whole mm, trying to spin toa and riku with a romantic angle it really bothered it bothered me so much I well, don't know why I care so much that I didn't get to talk to him very much. <laughs> and like, especially oh. when they made it clear, like, hey, he's your enemy. He's not supposed to be helping you. If he is trying to help you, he's trying to trick you out of your pearls. Do not give him your pearl. Mm-hmm. And what does she do? Yank her pearl out of her eye and give it to him. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? She... <laughs> it was such a weird twist uh to, to be fair to toa she she just thinks that he's trying to give it back to the rifle owner and toa's all about doing the right thing which is also not consistent for her like no what happened, not at what all. happened to the troublemaker kid that we started with in episode two the one who was getting uh, yeah. into fights so often she had to transfer schools multiple times the one who was getting into another fight on her first day of school and always like just really struggled to fit in and connect because she was a quote unquote bad kid. But she is like the most soft character that you'll encounter and blindly puts her faith in anyone she comes across. I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) Who is this person supposed to be? The show can't even make up its mind on that most of the time. Yeah. I I will say that, that Toa and, and, she she's the one character I quite strongly disliked, and uh, despite the things that I really did like about the show, I she was so off putting, and it wasn't just her inconsistent characterization; it was just how she reacted to each situation. Um, the, the the gullibility was annoying. Her her like happy face in weird situations was annoying. Her obsession with her sister was annoying and then the whole crush thing and the weirdest part for me about the crush on Riku was that 
she would say things like, why, why am I thinking about him? What am I feeling? And I feel like for her age group, what, she's 14, 15, how does she not know about puberty at that age? Like, do, you really don't know what a crush is? So, you don't yeah. know what happens when a boy likes a girl or a girl likes a boy. Like at that age, it's it, there's, it doesn't really make sense. And it could have been a translation error, but it was the dialogue was so inappropriate for the situation. And it felt, it, it was a little cringe to me. I, I just really disliked Toa completely. I like Setsuna. I, I, yeah. I, didn't yeah. Like I think that's I mean, reflective also of its time slot. So this was scheduled to air at, I think, 5 p.m. in the afternoon on Japanese TV. And it's marketed as a family anime where it's all ages. So that's probably where you're going to get some of that weird dialogue. Because if you have, say, a six or seven-year-old watching that doesn't understand the nuance of that and, like, is just starting to be interested in, like, why boys like girls or, like, romance between individuals, that's where that dialogue is going to make more sense. Um, versus if it was a show garnered specifically for a demographic that is close in age to Toa and Setsuna, then you'd have better sounding dialogue that's a little bit more nuanced in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the the kid-friendly aspects of this show, I think, are also things that drag it down because the original was not. It was a young adult series. Mm-hmm. You, the funny you bite your tongue, Celia. You read this when you were 12. The it's funny a young thing about the dub <laughs> the dub punches up the dialogue and adds swearing, and I'm like, you're just you're just trying to pretend this isn't a kids show. You're just trying to pretend by throwing in a shit and a damn every now and then. <laughs> don't yeah. don't think you can fool me. <laughs> right? There's like I mean, this is going to sound bad cuz we just talked about like all the violence of Primal and stuff, but like Yashihime <laughs> has hardly any violence in it. And when I went back and rewatched uh season 1 of Inuyasha with my sister cuz we just we needed a palate cleanser after finishing season one of Yashihime. Oh, so yeah, it is. Inuyasha gets like his demons, whole gut like messy. blown apart, right? It's bloody, it's messy, it's dark, it's violent. And then you get to Yashihime and like, yeah, you'll have a little bit of blood every now and then, but no one gets like gravely injured. Blades or, like, of blood? Where's the blood? <laughs> yeah, like she like Moroha summons blades of blood with no blood present, and that's not how it works. Uh you know, you can you can see the parts of it where it's made for that time slot on TV. It's on during the daytime. It's on when families are on. So I think that's one of the things that uh, doesn't help it in the long run. Yeah. Like in the last episode, uh, there is a, a moment where a character gets like a death blow. And at, in the moment, you don't see any blood. And then in the aftermath, you do see blood on them. Because that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's even just, then, she's still a little too clean. Yeah. Like Definitely. <laughs> yeah, like, not to be gross about it, but just compared to the original show, I'm like, ah, that could be <laughs> so much more dramatic if this wasn't airing at an all-ages time slot. Probably. So, and those are things that are out of our control. That's all decisions made on the Japanese production side. Honestly, I don't fault it for trying to aim young but maybe it wasn't the best choice i suspect that this was supposed to be an anniversary project because right before yashihime started airing in japan the first season did um they were announcing all kinds of anniversary stuff for the original series like there was a special exhibit that was going to go on tour between five cities in japan 
Um, they were having special art shows, special merchandise, and then Yashihime coming out at the same time. I'm like, this feels like it's supposed to be an anniversary project without being explicitly labeled one. And it's been so long since the original series that if you think about it, the people who were young reading and watching Inuyasha probably have families of their own now. So I think the intent was, you know, having a return to Inuyasha that they could watch with their kids. At least that's what I suspect. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. Well, okay. So, so I want to, I'm going to backtrack a bit. Um, now that we've discussed the really strange crush situation between Toa and Riku, uh, <laughs> it's bizarre. Um, Setsuna, and Setsuna is a character that I do like because um, she's she's sassy and tough. Uh, she we learned that she was raised in a village of half demons. So we finally, towards the very end of the series, I think something like episode nineteen or twenty, um, we learn what what was happening to her while Toa was being raised in in the future. Um, she's raised in a village of half demons with other half demons. Uh, and she was sort of trained on the side. She was given these these notes, which it's it's hell, heavily implied that I think is is Miyoga, but um You mean Jokin? or Jokin. Yeah, well, I mean it could be either, probably, probably Jokin, but it's heavily implied that she's given uh, a training advice from some of the old crew. Um she she's told that she has to leave and then she she realizes she's like human she goes back and then has this encounter with gaga gozen who just mentioned um and during this this fight she was control over demon powers forcing miroku who shows up just in time uh to have to seal them into the naginata which she's been carrying this whole time i kind of like the the naginata element that's definitely something that could have been elaborated on more but mystical weapons are always a big plus for this show apparently um, that that thing wasn't that great and it needed to be replaced <laughs> yeah well it was it was getting dull hey there's <laughs> only so much you can do with a magical weapon i mean you need, you need magical upkeep too i um, find it interesting how involved moroku is in this season compared to all the other old characters like even the show maru doesn't show up man. as often as moroku i feel yeah He's the series dad. That <laughs> <laughs> the dad who was absent for like the past several years. Moroku? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's been doing his training. Yeah, and and that one like I liked that arc, but I also was like maybe they could have given it a little extra oomph because you know it's implied, and you realize later when they reveal the truth of what happens to Inuyasha and Kagome that Moroku feels like he's failed and he feels powerless now that he no longer has the wind tunnel. And that's why he's pursuing the training to get his spiritual power up to a level that can make up for no longer having the wind tunnel. And I really liked that. Maybe it's because of my bias towards the original cast. And I really wanted to see more of them that I felt like it didn't give me enough to feel satisfied with that little bit of a look into what the original crew is doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was there, and I think it was good to have. It yeah. just kind of feels contrived that Moroku was so involved with sealing sets in his powers. Yeah, but well, I guess it a, works. Oh, go ahead. Well, <laughs> it, I'm like, it works. <laughs> it what does bother me though about Moroku's involvement is that 
he raised Setsuna after Kaede sent him or sent her to his the village, and they didn't tell her who her parents were. Yeah. Sango and Miroku know who her parents are, and they didn't say anything. In fact, no one tells them who their parents are. Yeah, like of the people. Oroha doesn't know who her parents are in this series until like partway through this season. Yeah, <laughs> even though everyone knows they're the half demon princesses, almost every stranger they encounter is like, ah, the half demon princesses. But no one thinks to tell them, hey, by the way, this is your dad or this is your mom. Um, but also, the girls don't question it themselves; they just kind of like roll with it. <laughs> they don't really so seem weird. to care. Yeah, family like, lineage doesn't really mean anything to them. That's yeah, that's a good point, I guess. But mm, yeah, they're just so disinterested. Like to echo James Beckett's points from our original episode that we did, they're so disinterested in their own plot. <laughs> they really are. Like even from the beginning, where they're like, "No, we don't want to fulfill the prophecy. No, no, we're not interested in doing that." And they say that for like at least seven episodes before they finally are like, "Okay, I guess we'll do this." Because the writers have basically put us in this position where oh, we have no choice. Oh, the dream butterfly is related to this guy? I guess we gotta kill him after all. No, but it did right? make for a good, it makes for a good twist in the plot. And I'm I'm gonna argue in favor of that decision because it, I like the idea of heroes not wanting to, to be heroes. What I mean, what is their motivation? They just had this tree tell them, kill this demon. And they're all like, wait, why? We don't care. You know, outside of the, the break, like I like, I it it, it fit with how. All Marl has thinking is, is how much money can I make? Sure, and exactly. So so their so that their reaction is consistent with what is happening in the story, and then giving them time to develop a motivation to go after him. I, I like that. I like that it. And had it been had it been drawn out with better pacing, I think that it could have been presented more favorably. But I will say that I didn't feel I didn't feel whiplash from that. It was I found it amusing and consistent that they were uninterested. And it kind of makes you feel invested like, well, OK, so this must be important because it's plot. When are they going to be interested? When are they going to feel motivated to address this demon? And, and then, of course, we eventually get that answer. Um, the rainbow pearl element. Uh, we learn, of course, that, that those are the tears shed by Lady Zero. Lady Zero is Kirimaru's sister, and she used the Shikan jewel to seal her emotions. It's not really clear in that part of the narrative, at least, how they managed to get scattered the way they were, not to my recollection. Um, and then we kind of get that that last ending arc. I want to say the last five episodes, a lot of story development happens. I mean, we have the Lady Zero coming, she, and she, we don't really see her at all in the series until then, and and realize her connection to Riku. We realize her connection to Kirimaru. Um, we realize her connection, more importantly, I think, um, for lore, the purpose of history and lore to um, the dog demon, which is Inuyasha and Sashomu's father. And then we get this flashback of of the dog demon and and something, and, and it's interesting to see that because he's talked a lot about in the original series, but we don't get more than storytelling about that. I mean, we see the massive skeleton. So here we actually get to see more of him directly. And I I would like to see more of that if they if they do a better job of it, of course. You um, can see more of him actually in Inuyasha movie three, Swords of an Honorable Ruler. 
Yeah, I, I, it's been a oh, while the since the whole I've in, watched the whole it. intro is him. The other uh, okay, so yeah. so then the other element that was a bit of a left field. Um, speaking of seeing the dog demon, was the the grim comet appearance and the reappearance in the modern world, and then the teacher seeing it. Um, I. It, it looked like an interesting plot device. I don't know where they were going with that. And it didn't feel like it was contributing to this season specifically, but I'm, I'm interested. Sketch, what'd you think of the grim comet thing? <laughs> and, and then the, yeah. the, the throwback to the future. Like, so it's implied that this grim comet is a very bad news and only Sishomaru and Kirin Maru can destroy it. Though we also see that uh, Inuyasha and Susomaru had to team up to deal with it previously. And for some reason, that ended up uh, making it so uh, Inuyasha and Kagome had to go away, I guess. That hasn't been explained yet, but I guess it does eventually. Uh, as for in the future, it's heavily implied there's a connection between that teacher and Kiri and Maru. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's just kind of just, just kind of hanging out there, really. <laughs> but uh, the implication is that that comet keeps appearing and it's bad news. So they got to deal with it at some point. And yeah. however that factors into, well, if, Ki if Kirin Maru is dead, he can't really deal with the comet. Now, can he? So that's kind of a problem, maybe, theoretically. I'm sure they can figure out some other way to deal with it. <laughs> well, there's that teacher. I mean, maybe... When when the time comes... <laughs> the thing about this show is a lot of episodes were like, this situation goes on as long as is needed until we decide it should end. Pretty much, yeah. Like, that's why you get so many one-offs. Uh, and why I think there's not a lot of focus on the main plot progression. And it's because of that, that this show feels like it's not invested in, in its own story because there are so many side quests that the main plot just doesn't get addressed until someone remembers that they have to address it or until it's convenient to bring it back up again. Uh, like for example, when Moroha activates her full demon powers using uh, Izayoi's Rouge, She's told explicitly by her teacher, the more you do this, you're going to lose your humanity and you're going to go berserk and you will never go back ever again. But no one stops her from doing it after that episode. She continues to use that power despite being told you will lose your sanity. And in right? the last episode, it's <laughs> like she has somehow overcome the ability to lose control. Right, despite not having any demonstration of how she gained the strength to do that. Like, I don't mind yeah. if they want to make that her thing where, oh, well, I'm going to learn to combat this and become stronger. So much of what this show expects you to, like, be okay with is stuff happening off screen. Oh, we already took care of this somewhere off screen in between episodes. Oh, we already took care of this. Now this is the way it is. And the audience just kind of has to accept it as is. <laughs> and that feels very lazy to me. That could be because of production scheduling. 
you know, this was developed uh, in the height of the pandemic and the animation uh, industry in Japan was definitely impacted by it because so much of it is done in person at the office or at the studio. Um, and so it took longer when people were working from home, especially when you're dealing with such like large file sizes and stuff um, and only being able to have certain people come in. That could be part of it if they didn't feel like they could show all of it in the allotted time that they had. But yeah, it's really frustrating because <laughs> it's like, well, that's cool and all that she was able to use this power without fainting. But when did she get powerful enough to do that? We haven't seen any evidence of that leading up to it. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to touch on Yawaragi. Because I thought it was interesting that Moroha was mentored by one of the wolf, uh, Koga's wolf clan, though Koga doesn't make any appearance in this show. And uh, Koga didn't say anything. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know, right? It's ridiculous. He's got the robe of the fire hat, like, like Inuyasha hat. I'm like, come on, come on. And, uh, and Miyoga's around too. Why doesn't Miyoga tell her anything? Give her nothing, old flea. Uh, so, she trains under Yawaragi, and Yawaragi is always like, well, if you keep using your rouge, then you can't, you know, you, you'll you lose yourself. And Okay, sure. And then we got this whole plot about her mentor having this armor that she was tricked into wearing that is slowly compressing and going to kill her eventually. So at some point, Contone, one of the four perils, forces them to have a duel and this is another instance where the fight went on as long as necessary and not a moment more <laughs> yep and, <laughs> and it just ends and yawaragi dies and i'm like what <laughs> you're telling me that there was like no other way to get that armor off that there was like no like it would be kind of contrived if there was like some spirit power that they could have used to get the armor off but like I feel like she died for nothing, and I felt very little to nothing. <laughs> yeah, like, she was it, she was just there for the for the emotional moment of Moroha losing her teacher, because yeah. she never appeared any other time to give us any other reason to be sad after she died. Oh, so this whole thing about Moroha and her relationship with her mentor. Oh, also finding out that Moroha's mentor is the reason why Moroha is terribly indebted to to Juve the corpse dealer because uh in order to uh get out of her own debts she kind of thrusted that all on Moroha which is pretty crappy to do I know but it is it it, it has a sort of amusing anime plot <laughs> element where you have a teacher who's imperfect and flawed in a way that's yeah, hilarious. Well, granted yeah. that, but it's yeah. also kind of like child slavery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're talking about it's problematic elements in this show. I still oh. think that the Ren issue is far, far worse than anything else we saw. Yeah. That's always going to bother me. The Ren issue is pretty bad. And also, for some reason, Rin will die if Zero dies. So Sashomaru has to bring her back from death. And that apparently pisses off uh, Zero yeah. a whole bunch because he revived her with the sword that was made from the tooth of the great dog demon. She's like, how could you do that to me? And, and then she breaks Tenno oh. and Saiga, which I'm is... I'm like, bitch! 
Yeah, the reason which... why he brought you back to life is so Rin wouldn't die. Well, and there's a reason he had to do Zero instead of Rin. Mm-hmm. Cannot be brought back again from the, with the Tensega. Mm-hmm. In the final act, he used the Meido Zangetsuha to... Not the Meido. Yeah, he used the Meido to go retrieve her soul because mm-hmm. she'd already been revived once. And his mother was like, okay, since you really care about her all that much, you can go get her. And if you can survive, then you can bring her back. Yeah. But then she explicitly warns him, you cannot ever bring her back to life again after this. Mm-hmm. This is the end. So he has to bring Zero back. But yeah. Speaking yeah, of his mother, the Sorry, relationship between <laughs> Zero and his mother's pretty catty for a couple of dogs <laughs> it's hilarious and I... in, in the dub i appreciate that it's carrie karenin and laura post so that is uh lady satsuki and her mother for <laughs> kill a kill ragio right yeah no i i like when sashomaru's mom shows up uh because she's <laughs> such a such a bitter woman on her own high horse. Oh yeah. I really, I really would love more of her. I, I feel like she would be very entertaining. Um, yeah. And Zero's all like, I bet you felt this way when, when his lover died, <laughs> and she's like, No, nah, I don't think of humans. I will speak mm-hmm. nothing more of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's wonderful. Oh, I love her. I, I gotta say that for for finale, it had the biggest unfolding of drama and storytelling with the least amount of action, especially for a show like within well a, sh- a show within the world of Inuyasha. Um, I'm curious, CJ, how did you respond to the finale? What did you think about oh. everything unfolding with the, the the drama more than anything else? The cattiness I- between the characters. Characters dying, characters coming back to life. I have to say this, Celia, I hate you so much. (laughs) So fucking much. Oh my god. And why is that, CJ? Because you warned me, and I'm like, it can't be that bad. It can't be this weird. It can't be what she's saying. She's a super fan. Everything's on blinders with her. And then it happened, and I'm just like, really? This the, the ending to season one is reminiscent to Magical Warfare ending. And if you haven't seen that anime, please don't. It, it, <laughs> I actually enjoyed it until we hit the final episode of that. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? At least Yashihime fans will get a answer for it. But the fact that it just ended right then and there when Setsuna is dead. I'm like, wait, what? I thought it would be like, OK, she's dead for the first part. Then they either do something or, you know, sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like boom, dead end credit scene. So nah, you gotta no. wait for episode twenty-five. Yeah. It's it's like, excuse me, are we really are we really doing this right now? Really? I was so mad. And and to be fair, obviously there are elements with Yashihime that I am not the biggest fan of, but that have been touched on. Toa's characterization, uh, the lack, if you don't have as much uh, information about the lore, you will miss out on a lot of things. Like, totally understandable. So I tried to look at Yashihime as its own entity, which I know is, you know, pretty much almost impossible just because of, you know, the characters and their families, yada yada. But, -hmm. you know, I I try to take things as it is, especially if I'm not as well-versed within the overall property. 
And like it has its merits. It had its fun. Like there were part there were parts that I was like, oh, this is fun. Like as you guys were mentioning the cattiness, I was like, oh, I remember that. Oh, that was so fun. You're talking about Mora's uh, mentor who got her into this trouble to begin with. I was like, oh, I kind of laughed at that. It's horrible, but I kind of laughed at it. You know what I mean? Like I have all these types of things that I did enjoy. Like I loved how pretty the series looked on its merits. Right. I loved Mora. I loved all this. And then to just throw that it, it to me, it feels like having it end season one end that way and i don't know if like they knew they were going to do a second season for it I, they probably did with how they ended how they ended it but if they didn't oh my god i would have been so furious if i was a yashihime inuyasha fan of that because it's like really we're ending it here that's it we're done we're not gonna know what and it just it just felt weird because it, it i don't know what it was but Shishomaru didn't feel like Shishomaru for whatever reason, during the final parts of the first act. I don't know what it is, because I really have no basis to go on that, because, like, I really don't... I remember him more as, like, a very, like, strong, silent, you barely ever saw him. He might have a diatribe saying, like, Inuyasha, you fucking blow, right? But, like, it was just, like... He felt so out of character in his involvement in that final part, to where I'm kind of like, this feels kind of either forced, weird, or maybe it's not really him. I don't know. So like I and I can't put my finger on it, but I was just so infuriated with how it ended like that because my mind immediately went to that absolutely terrible anime of magical warfare. And I'm like, you can't do this to me a second time anime. I, I've been good. I've been very, very good. <laughs> I do not complain about a damn thing about this because I know it is hard work. But to do that, that feels so disrespectful on the story. Only if you did not know, you would have a second act. If they knew, it gets more of a leeway because there's going to be more episodes to either explore this, talk about it, explain it. God, just give us a hint of Setsuna's back because if we lose Setsuna, losing a third of what I liked of the series is really not a good sign for the second act. I love Moroha. I love Setsuna. I thought she was funny. Like... Funny in, like, the dry humor, very, like, cold open type of funny, where I'm just like, really? And I'm just kind of, like, laughing, like, eh, of course, kind of thing with it. So if we lose that, I'm going to be very, very combative, and I'm probably going to, again, kidnap Celia and force her to watch season two. <laughs> again. She's just watching it, apparently. Again. Don't I'm give just... us any, don't give anything away. <laughs> gonna... I, no, I've been withholding all my comments, because everything that you guys are, are bringing up, Keep that in your brains when you start watching season two. <laughs> I, I even messaged Celia when it was announced that part two was coming. I was like, Celia, we're rehiring you for just this series. <laughs> you don't have to do anything else. You're just doing this series. Because Steven and I, when we were working with her, are like, we have no effing idea what the hell is happening right here. And Celia's wonderful, able to be able to kind of give us good background very quickly, too. And if there's one thing I love that she was able to do that also made me appreciate the series. So I, I will say I already lost one third of what I liked about the series because of Celia's like intuition and like knowing all the different like Easter eggs and stuff was like the way that she presented like, oh, did you know this? Did you know that? Does this look familiar? Ooh, look at this. She was able to hit the right nostalgia while also still propping up the new series, which I thought was great. So I already lost that. I, I can't lose more of this series, please. I beg of you. That's all I can say. I've already dealt with so much loss when it comes to this. Like, all of a sudden, this, the end of season two, they're going to have more uh, in the same incident. And I'm, and I'm just going to be like, please, end me now. I'm I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I am okay. I cannot let this daughter of mine die. 
<laughs> I love her to pieces. Like one of the biggest things that I loved about Mora even like and why I really enjoyed uh, like having her have more. I wouldn't say more of a spotlight, but just when we got to the final part of like the final like, you know, the final fights and whatnot, she was a main player for it. And I really liked it. And I just loved her English voice. I thought Morgan Berry literally sounded like the daughter of Richard Ian Cox, which like blew me away in certain lines. I was like, you really could believe she was his daughter. Like it, it just, I loved, I loved everything mm-hmm. about it. So I love the fact that we're going to get more of that because I, I remember Celia at least mentioning this, how people in Japan were like, yeah, Moroha is the most popular character of the series. And I think, uh, well, hopefully season two kind of, you know, plays up to that a little more. We don't know. Like she might know if it does. I don't know if it does. I hope that they notice that because you could, you can look at the tweets, man. She was fire. She, she got all the love. She is the best. So I am very, very disgruntled. I'm a very angry Yashahime fan when, when people bring up that ending because I am just like, <laughs> why? What did I do to you? What did I like? I, I, I've been nice. What did I do to deserve that kind of thing? So it's just it's super frustrating because to me, ending it on that and, and like you can end on a death. But how abrupt that it ended after the death, it just it, it gives you that emotional like whiplash to where you have a lot of emotions that go to the wrong place. Like for me, I'm not like feeling terrible sadness that Setsuna is dead, which should be. She's a main character. She's the sister of Toa. They're like trying to save everyone that's around them, you know, especially, you know, Rin and all that kind of stuff. They finally find out that their sister, you know, yada, yada, whatever, all that. And it's like all of a sudden you just take that away in a sense where it's just like it wasn't played up to to a way that I thought was appropriate for her character. It wasn't really I wasn't really expecting it. So like it's almost like you were going for a cheap shock factor, kind of like a jump scare in a in a horror movie. And it's like you don't even give enough time for you to like really grieve that it happened. I'm like I, I remember too after it happened. I'm messaging you, Celia. And it's like, CJ, you're supposed to be live tweeting the other show. I can't focus on the other show right now. <laughs> this is not okay. I do remember that. See, what's funny is that, like, because that was your reaction, I loved the last 10 minutes of the finale. I know and you I, did. I don't and understand I thought, why. <laughs> so, and I think it's funny that you said that Sashomaru feels very out of character. When, for me, when I watched it, he was the most in character he had been the entire show. Because one of the key parts of his character arc by the time you get to the end of Inuyasha, the final act, is that he has learned to protect the people who are important to him and to find value in those people because they're important. Not because he gains anything from them or because, uh, you know, they provide him access to something. And that was one of the key lessons from the third movie and from uh, him rescuing Rin using his mother's maidel. I so when final act. That explains it then. Yeah, never saw so, that, never saw any of the movie. So, okay. Okay, that makes sense then. Why right? I would feel out of character. Because my only experience with Shomaru is from the original series. And very, like, bits and pieces. Yes, he's a dickhead in the beginning of the series. Oh, yeah. A beautiful dickhead. But yeah. a dickhead. But by the time you get to the end... What do you end, mean? He's beautiful now. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's okay. But, he's okay. But by the time you get to the Yashihime finale, that's who he is. And him surrendering what's left of Tensega to Toa to save her sister is huge. Especially because he is 
like, first of all, he held on to that sword for so long, even though he coveted Tetsaiga, because it's one of the last things that his father gave him. And he knows that it has value and importance. But there's also, I think, a part of him deep down that holds on to it simply because his father gave it to him and it's his father's fang. So surrendering that to his daughter is huge. And giving her that responsibility when he could very easily do it himself. Right. And it's the first time that you see him actually be a parent and use it as a teaching opportunity because he can do it himself, but is letting Toa do it instead and figure yeah. out what she needs to do to fix Tensega. Really? So he, he's he not he as can bad do as it? Goku. He can do it? Because I, I was under the impression that only Toa could manifest the the spirit sword. Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess Tensega's broken. But, like, he could get it repaired. <laughs> he could use it because he's the only one who can wield Tensega, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what I mean by he, he can do it himself. He can get the sword fixed. He can bring Setsuna back to life. But well, he gives that responsibility to Toa. All, all I can say is, is that for the listeners for this episode, I remember because Celia's like, you can tell from this episode and the previous one, she's very much disappointed with the series. But literally, I remember when the season like ended in Japan, she messages me saying, I'm going to watch season two. And I'm like looking at her like, what? Why? You don't like it. Those last 10 minutes, CJ, got me right back in. I thought I was out, but they pulled me right back in. I was so mad because the rest of the series had been so mediocre or just plain bad. And then the final 10 minutes happened. And I'm like, you came for my neck with the emotionality of that moment between father and daughter. God damn it. I have to see what happens next. And oh. that's how I started watching season two. I was prepared to drop the show and not continue because I was so unhappy with what it had done with the world of Inuyasha and the characters. Like somehow racism against half demons is magically gone in 14 years. <laughs> I remember talking about this because that was something that really was weird for me, too. That's one thing I remember from the original series. And I'm like, I was expecting more turmoil for the girls. And it's like, oh, no, they're like treated like royalty. What happened? Me too. I was expecting them to face a lot more trials and tribulations simply because they were half-demons. Because in the original series, just a decade prior, half-demons are outcasts. They're not welcomed in either society. But for whatever reason, everyone's okay with them now. And I'm like, what are you guys, what are these guys doing that makes it go away? Just like magic, because that's a Clearly. solution I think that the world could use, right? Clearly. It's 2022. We can't be biased <laughs> against half demons or not. Like, come on now. <laughs> it's just it's it's just such a big thing that they made a big deal of in the original series. To not have it carry over in the sequel just seems very odd. I and mean, to have the princesses be least... celebrated for being half demon is I'm like, wait a second, what happened here? <laughs> no, but but arguably you've had all these characters go through, I mean, six seasons and then after they're all married and such, go through seasons and 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 decades of fighting other demons and being recognized as heroes rather than half demon villains. So I guess you could you can kind of fill in the blank there with that story element. I, I really didn't see the half demon issue as as as, a, as strong of an important problem in the series. It was sort of it didn't even actually until you mentioned it now. It actually wasn't something that bothered me because you can't you cannot necessarily repeat every single plot element from the first first show because then you're just having 
a repeat. You know, you have to come up with new problems. You have to have new trials and tribulations for them to overcome. You know, I think it's just more noticeable for me just because like my only experience was in Yasha. I think I think you do make more sense with that since obviously you've experienced more than just the just the series and actually remembered this the series more so than me since I have like I say I still have yet to watch the full Yasha. I just I'm just going simply based on what I remember like more from like my childhood of watching it because like those things really hit me more. So it's more so that I'm playing off of that. It's almost as if like time didn't exist for me. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm still 12 watching Adult Swim at like midnight to watch Inuyasha. You know what I mean? And this well, is the follow up for it. It doesn't mean that there was an opportunity here for some kind of social issue to insert. And I suspect that harkens back to Celia's comment about, you know, it being a family centric show that couldn't quite make up its mind about how family oriented it wants to be. Yeah. But I do want to say uh, regarding the finale, I also loved the last 10 minutes. And and part of the thing that made it, I think, the most intense was when Seishomaru come, he shows up and he, he makes this comment about it being a rite of passage for his daughters right before he disappears and comes back. And, and there's something about that moment because it makes you wonder, was this always how it was meant to be with him abandoning his children? Or is this this have to do with what he's learned as a demon with half demon children that there has to be this this rite of passage that this plays some role based off of what his brother's journey was and what their journey needs to be into being able to survive and find their strength because their biggest as since the since you know random village a b c or whatever isn't their problem and the villagers hating half demons isn't the problem well demons are still a serious threat and they prey heavily on half demons so if these girls are going to survive this rite of passage and then that transitions quite perfectly into that final moment where there's this handing off of his legacy to his daughter who's still essentially figuring out who she is and what her role in this world is and i, I did really enjoy that there, there's a lot of story going on here it's not told as well as it could be and i think there's a lot of disjointed elements here that I, they, they couldn't decide what it wanted to pursue, but it has potential. It really does have potential. You can't be as good as the original. Nothing will ever be as good as the original. And that's not just Inuyasha. I think that's any story, but I think on its own, you know, and I, I hate, I hate knowing about anything about season two, because I really, I really want to go into this and make up my own mind. Yes, it had faults, and we've talked about some of them. But I kind of want to touch on some of the strengths. Like, what were things that we didn't like about it? We talked about Moroha being a treasure. Um, I've said Setsuna, she's she's sassy, she's fun. I, I kind of like her deadpan nature. Um, what were some other things that you guys liked? I'm going to start with Sketch. Something you liked about the series. Uh, I, I think some of the... The one-off characters were fun, or some of the reoccurring characters were fun, like um, the the monk-eating member of the of the perils. He's it was kind of annoying how he kept getting away, but he he was fun. <laughs> he was definitely the funnest of the four perils. <laughs> the others were pretty drab. Mister distasteful. <laughs> I forgot that that's what they made him say in the English dub. What what was what did he That's say so in funny. Japanese? What did he say in Japanese? I think the sub said it was not elegant. Oh, okay, not or something elegant. to that nature. 
like <laughs> like more or like it's not refined not refined like he's very he's very clearly supposed to be like an uh, like a at least make himself seem like he's an upper class lord and you can look at the way he's dressed he's supposed to look like a lord right, so right. but i forgot that they had him say distasteful yeah yeah him and riku kept saying things equivalent to distasteful or distasteful <laughs> pretty pretty often that i was like drink <laughs> drink whenever you hear distasteful or a word like it uh yeah Mor- moroha did did the heavy lifting on this show for sure she's mm-hmm. she she was fun pretty much all the time i do think setsuna had her moments uh i kind of like that she learned to play an instrument and does so because she can't fall asleep <laughs> that's that's kind of neat i mean it's it's something to do girl girl needs a hobby <laughs> if she's gonna be up 24 7 um me think uh yeah uh i i do think some of the story elements are interesting uh it kept me engaged i it's hard for me to pin down thing many things that i straight out liked but early on i was pretty bored towards the middle i was really bored but when i got about halfway through it was a more enjoyable experience, and I I managed to get through the second half of the season, and you know felt fairly satisfied by what I watched. I didn't, I don't think it was fantastic, but it was plenty watchable. And uh, the moments when the the characters are, you know, just being entertaining, works <laughs> works to its advantage. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so many times when Toa's like, "Don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> like, girl, stay in your lane. <laughs> We're having a fake fight. Relax. It's not real. <laughs> oh, that episode. All she, right. Her the- character just needs to be redone. Like, that is straight up. I, Prin- I Princess Aya yeah. is the is the most petty. Ojo. Oh, I blocked that whole. I bought blocked that, that girl. She's like. Well, I had to get back at the demon girls because they spilled on my kimono. <laughs> Girl, you petty. <laughs> you super duper petty. Oh, and the the bounty hunter group was uh, something. <laughs> oh, yeah, the ones that she teamed up with? <laughs> yeah, the yes. ones that Moraha had to team up with. I like how the demon slayers are just like, we're just going to keep throwing bombs. What are they going to do? <laughs> the princess wanted a spectacle. Jeez. Just. I like how you found a way to enjoy that arc. I straight up locked it out completely because the character was. A, it was just one was episode. So it, she was so annoying. It was, it was stupid. It was a stupid episode. And I think the character is awful. But I was kind of amused by how awful she was. Yeah. <laughs> That's. As uh, as much as saying, uh, I like having Moroku around. Um, I think uh, Ian James Cortland did a good job subbing in for the late Kirby Morrow, and uh, but I do think it's kind of contrived that he is so involved with Setsuna's seal 
it works, but it, it's kind of like, okay, uh, yeah, sure. But I really liked seeing his kids. Like, his daughters were very fun. Uh, Hisui was pretty boring, but her, but the daughters were pretty fun. They were, uh, they they had some good lines. And uh, Kiana makes everything better. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, yeah, really, it's, it, it just comes down to the character interactions and the, uh, the occasional one-off character being entertaining enough but yeah this there's not not a lot of meat on these bones i have to say yeah <laughs> the I, I, the elements yeah. are there but they're just they're just not really clicking the possibility of a good story is here but the delivery is lacking and that's yeah. that's unfortunate <laughs> what a waste of crispin freeman's talent Right. I uh, forgot he was in the dubcast. Yeah, um, he's uh yeah. he's Keenan Maru. Actually, yeah. what a waste of David Kay's talent. I mean, I love that he's back, oh. but he talks so infrequently and it's just and it's not very interesting things that he's saying most of the time. Oh. You know. <laughs> so like it's it's great that they got him back. I mean, I'm glad he got the paycheck, but Really, they they could have just uh, kept the other guy, uh, Michael Dangerfield. I think he was he was fine. It's just Shomaru. But hopefully, they make better use of him next season. And uh, also, uh, Richard Ian Cox as Inuyasha. I, I hope we get to hear more of him next season. I hope. But yeah. as I. My overall opinion is it was fine. I don't feel at all compelled to revisit it, but I'm interested enough to see what goes on in season two. I was actually interested enough to immediately watch episode 25 just to see what immediately happens next. And yeah, well, well, I would have, <laughs> I think one of the main things is I would have stuck with one plot element in this show. So let's say, you know, the rainbow and then let just that play out slowly and how to like, talk about the the dream butterfly was did that like just get wrapped up when Setsuna died? <laughs> I don't I'm not sure. It like it came back, it seemed like it allowed her to dream and then die and then it came back out of her when uh I don't it's called a cliffhanger for a reason, Sketch. Y'all are going to have to watch season two to get your questions yeah. answered. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, you're watching your answers. Also, you with I, know, I know this isn't talking about... Um, <laughs> this isn't talking about things that I particularly like. But one of my favorite episodes was when we got to see um, uh, Sashomaru and Inuyasha team up and uh, stop the, the piece of the uh, comet falling. Uh, and I was reading up the description of that episode because I, I misstepped here. The, the, the specific reason why Inuyasha and Kagome are gone is because uh, Shishomaru sealed them in the Black Pearl, the Black Rainbow Pearl, and 
The reason for that was supposedly because Kivin Maru would hunt Inuyasha and his family. But Moroha's still out there. Are they just kind of banking on the fact that he doesn't know who Moroha is? He sure does now. Right? Like, uh, yeah, there's... He, he didn't really seem interested in killing her, though. I mean, he... Not, he not, not so much. Also, he unlocked her, her new superpower. Woo, we even named it for her. Yeah. yeah. He's all like, you will now call this attack. <laughs> okay, that was hilarious. <laughs> the twin is like, clearly he has some admiration, but like, where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he just wanted a good fight. That's all he wanted. Well, I mean... Earlier, they showed a moment where he's like, no, I won't fight the dog demon until he's up to full strength. All right, cool. That's honorable. I hear you. <laughs> so, okay, so so I, I'm just going to get back to my point for a second here, you know, where if, if I could redo this, what I would have done right and maybe have this season focus on one plot point like the Rainbow Pearls and have the other things unfold across multiple plot points. Um, I actually would like... Aside from some of the problematic elements of, you know, characterization and other things, if, if you could redo this, Celia, how would you want to see it done right? I would like to see the show be consistent. Like, <laughs> you know, you made your point about how you can't bring back the same old stuff all the time because then it'd just be a repeat. And I think that's a good point. You know, it's good to make some changes, mm -hmm. but the show never committed when it did. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of the things that, I found really frustrating was that Setsuna and Toa in like their half demon powers were just for convenience. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like, you know, Toa turning human during the night of the new moon. That was great that they brought that back. Um, and they do explain uh, Setsuna's whole deal at one point um, because she doesn't seem to undergo the same thing, mm -hmm. but the ability to smell and have heightened senses completely underutilized right but it's used when it's convenient for the plot <laughs> um same with like lore within the world um about the politics of what's going on um just the way the characters interact like that's really the one thing i would just love the show to do is to say we're gonna go this direction and we're gonna stick with it yeah. instead of changing it because they went because they realized they needed to change it to make another story element work so I think that's what I would change about this show is please be consistent. <laughs> I may that, not like that. That's an excellent point. That is, is perfectly stated, I think, too, because it encompasses all of the problems and potential strengths the series could have had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I when this show was announced, I was so excited. I thought it was going to be the Boruto of the Inuyasha franchise. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I like, at least I stopped by like episode 30 of Boruto, but I did like those first 30 episodes. So I was like, okay, cool. This is going to be fun. Mm -hmm. And then it just wasn't that. And it, it didn't seem like it was trying to establish what it was going to be its own thing and keep it that way. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was trying too hard to pander and lost itself in the process. Um, and that's really kind of a shame. Because I agree, there are a lot of interesting plot points, but if they had stuck to just one of them and followed it all the way through, mm -hmm. I think it would have been a much more interesting and probably a more entertaining show. Yeah. Well, I think that segues perfectly into, you know, what Sketch alluded to in season two and what expectations are. But I'm actually curious, 
about you, CJ. So now season two's coming next Saturday. Are you going to watch it? What are your thoughts? I have to watch it. I have no choice <laughs> on that. But, um, I will be honest. If I wasn't you know, obligated to, I would watch it. Yes. Okay. But that 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 wouldn't change it. But I am a hostage for tsunami programming at the moment. So I, I, I have to see it. I have no choice. <laughs> Unless, of course, anything major kind of comes up. But no, I will be seeing it. Um, am I interested? Yes. I, I, I want to know what happens to Setsuna at the end of that. Because, like, are we down to now just two? Is this turn into, like, Survivor? <laughs> like, are we going to be down to one of them by the end of season two? I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, so I, I do definitely want to know that. Uh, or, you know, what's going to happen. And I want to see more more i mean i really enjoyed her as a character as you know as one can you know and so i i i will be watching it uh i wouldn't necessarily say i was begging for season two to show up but uh i'm glad that they did you know uh mob psycho fans are still crying and not being able to have season two on on toonami so i'm always going to be a proponent of a series finishing or at least every episode that's available to air on the block so but I, cj food wars season five no yeah i know it's bad <laughs> the problem the problem is, is that like i think people who actually like paid attention to the series or have watched or have read it or you know like who look past just hey look at that naked woman after eating something fun i think if you get past the fans that are just about that, I think you understand like how just absolutely, I, I hate to use this phrase, but how absolute dog shit the final stuff of Food Wars is. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah. I know that yeah, there is, But think of it this way. You know how Celia was mentioned how, well, God, what show are we? Are we watching the same show? Because a lot of fans that interacted with Toonami Faithful really like the show. It's the same thing with Food Wars. I guarantee you it would be the same thing with Food Wars. You know, even people who like to think that they have oh, yeah. the function to be able to critically think about what they're actually watching are fans of it. And I'm just like, yo, you really don't understand what the hell's going on, do you? So it's it's kind of whatever. So like I say, like Yashahimi isn't even close to that. So like it has that going for it, Celia. So, I mean, at least it's not Food Wars season five or just, you know, as for me, Food Wars season three, anything like honestly past season two and even season two it was kind of like meh but um yashihime is not even close to anything like that so i look forward to finding out more um yeah and you know i just it, it, it's something different you know like inuyasha isn't obviously like on my holy grail of anime series then again i don't really think there is a show like i i love black clover to death but i wouldn't put it on that kind of a pedestal for me anyway so uh, I don't generally have that type of kind of sentiments with anime anymore. I used That's to. That's also but... a changing goal, I think, for every anime <laughs> fan. No matter I... what they say, that that's it's it's not going to be the same as you age. Yeah, that's just, that's just I how just I lived in this. I have a philosophy where you shouldn't have anything so sacred that it just ruins your mood, depending okay. if things don't go your way or does. Okay. And I, I've taken that with, you know, sports because I've broken my hand due to sporting outcomes, which is really bad. And that kind of made me stop caring as much with it and more kind of just enjoying the ride that it is. Same thing can be said for Toonami. Same could be said for anime. Same could be said for gotcha games that I play or just video games in general. So. I feel for Celia because she's still so invested to this property. Um, 
but I'm able, like for me, I'm able to kind of just go out of where it's like, I don't really care if it was or was on or, you know, if it was or was not on, but I'm glad that it will be. And I'm glad that there are going to be fans who are extremely excited about it are going to get a chance to, you know, watch more, you know, means more eyes on Toonami. I'm not going to be upset about that. That's a good thing. And I got to give Toonami fans some credit because just like the way within this group, we have different reasons why we liked and disliked things. I think the same thing applies. I mean, the, the food words example is perfect because it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty shitty, but sometimes <laughs> watching something bad can be really fun because it is bad. And the elements that are cheesy. Mm, yeah. I wish it was, was, was that. I really embrace. wish it was that. Yeah, I would but I'm not mostly... saying I'm not saying that's a missed case with with, oh. with uh, Yashi. This is no, bad no, with comedy. <laughs> well, okay, so as far as the variety goes, like yeah. I would I would argue, like I I recently saw the next bit in the Made in Abyss story, and it 100% put me off. And if any of you listened to the podcast where we talked about the Made in Abyss finale and and about my reaction and Laser's reaction and even just the journey we were taking where we were saying how interesting the story was. And then the left turn that that last film took, which I watched with Sketch, um, it, it's 100% it put me off. It, and it's 100% put me off. I have zero interest in seeing where the story goes. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm, I really don't care anymore. Sketch, I, I don't you're feel- mean. But, but, it, but this what story... I wanted to see it. I did. But, but Yashihime has something that I still want to explore. And I'm not just talking about the Inuyasha mythology. I'm saying the mythology that it's sort of set up, they've left all these plot threads unfinished. They did it sloppily. Yes, they were, it's problematic how it's, how characters are, are um, characterized. Yes, but I'm, I still want to know what happens. And ultimately, that's what's going to draw me to a show. And I think ultimately that's what draws any of the viewers to the show. They're not coming there only for loyalty, you know. They're coming there because there's something to watch. And I'm 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 interested to see what reaction will be. I very much wanna know what's gonna happen next. And then hopefully, you know, they'll make some improvements to the way things played out in this series. I'm always hopeful though, guys. You know me. I'm always looking on the bright side of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think that's a good place. To wrap up, um, we've been talking for a while now. You know, we've we've all made some good contributions to the discussion. Um, I I set up an opportunity for tsunami talkbacks with the hope that there would be feedback, like the kind of feedback Celia was seeing at the time. And um, I'm just going to straight up say this is all your fault, Sketch, because we didn't record it <laughs> a year ago. No, I'm kidding. Um, the, I, we do have one talk back and I want to, I want to give credit to Josh um, because he's always great about giving us solid feedback. Uh, he said, when Yashihime first aired, it did hold my attention for a minute, but after a while, it just wasn't interesting to me. I missed an episode here and there. And the next thing I know, I skipped the whole show and may give second season another try though. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's, that pretty much sums up the whole middle aspect of the, 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 how dull it got in the middle of the season. So thanks, Josh. Keep up your insights. We love them. <laughs> yes. Although, Josh, you may want to go back and watch the rest of the show that you skipped. 
Like, I'm not yeah, going to give away to say, too much right about here. season two, but there are, are several plot threads that are brought up in the middle and towards the end of season one that are good to know about for season two. Yeah, and if you so. drop the show, if you haven't been convinced by even even Celia, who wasn't a fan, if you haven't even been convinced by that, that there's something to see in the finale, I encourage it. Certainly the last, I would say if, if you did quit, the last five episodes at the very least give crucial plot points. Yeah. Ooh, I would also highly recommend that uh, you watch episode 15. <laughs> Yeah, really need to get mm -hmm. episode 15 in there. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that is the thing about this show that, like, even though I just said they don't follow through, um, there are things that you need to know from season one for the next season. So you should make sure that you have all of them in your brain before don't you start watching me. season two. I'm not doing that. <laughs> going in blind. Well, the I good news the is they're fresh for me. <laughs> I'm yeah, telling you, too. I'm having Celia live tweet this. I don't care. <laughs> Boy, what am I getting myself into with this? <laughs> Sorry for roping you back in. <laughs> hey, the second, the, the last 10 minutes did it for her. It wasn't us. The last 10 minutes, it pulled her right back in. It did. But I also have already watched almost all of season two. <laughs> I've just got five episodes left, and then I'm all caught up. So we're all going to be back here at the end of season two, and we're probably going to have a very similar discussion, except this time V-Lord will be a part of it. And I won't Alrighty be... then. I honestly did not... I thought you said, no, CJ, stay away. Stay no. away. No, no, no. You're, you're always welcome on uh, my hosting segments. I can't speak for Sketch. Sketch hates me. I don't mind. Yeah. Alrighty, then it's time for some house cleaning. So you can email us at podcast at tsunamifaithful.com if you want to talk about what you thought about this show, about any other show, hot takes on Primal, Primal Season 2. Please give me your hot takes on Primal. I'm, I'm really interested in writing more about this, so um, your feedback is welcome. Or anything else, of course. You can follow us on Facebook at... Um, Tsunami Faithful Podcast or on Twitter at Tsunami Podcast. And presumably you're already following us if you're listening to this. But if not, share with your friends. We're, we're highly amusing when we're not roasting. Actually, even when we are roasting, we're highly amusing. We do love Tsunami. <laughs> you can listen to this podcast on pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, iTunes, Google Music, Spotify. I, I can't think of all the ones I'm missing um, because I only use Spotify, but <laughs> <laughs> and SoundCloud, but uh, you can find every episode of the, of the podcast, this one, past ones, including the one we referenced with CJ and James and Celia and V-Lord titled, um, did anyone ask for this, uh, at soundcloud.com slash Tsunami Faithful Podcast. You can get the latest news by following at Tsunami News on Twitter and read our news, views, and reviews on TsunamiFaithful.com, including the article that CJ mentioned where I talk about Primal, primal and uh, the impact of silent animation on uh, Tartakovsky's work. You can su subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, you can get the Tsunami Faithful Pass where you can see some behind-the-scenes content of uh, CJ's 
really erudite documentary on what tsunami means to me. Um, some some interviews we've done and lots of other exciting content. Uh, yeah, so subscribe to Patreon. Uh, it helps support the the one running of the HEPS website, and it also helps support getting us to um, cons and getting us behind the scenes, getting access to to content before anyone else, so we can give you our hot takes. And uh, sketch, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sketch nineteen eighty four, and I am cameoing on a couple of other podcasts, um, either now or soon, depending on when this podcast comes out. Uh, the first big uh, Tsunami Squad podcast sessions. Uh, <laughs> well, they asked me to 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 pop in because one of their regulars wasn't available and was like, yeah, sure, I'll talk about Toonami somewhere else. And the other is uh, on the GeekCast Radio Network's Tooncast for their Tooncast Origins in which I talk about all the other cartoons I love to talk about. And also One Piece. I talk about One Piece a lot. <laughs> and Ninja Turtles. A lot. Shocked. Yeah, so... uh if you want to hear me talk about things other than Toonami, though Toonami is definitely mentioned, <laughs> that that should be out now or soon on the GeekCast radio network. Celia, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Planets Twinkle and on Facebook at Celia Rose Cosplay. And if it's not already on the website by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably come out shortly after that. Uh, I'm writing a report on Anime Expo 2022 for Toonami Faithful. So you yeah. can look forward to Ooh. seeing what the con was like. Uh, spoiler alert, it was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> I believe That it. was trying to kill her. Yeah. Uh, it's par for the course for AX. Like, it's not my first time I've gone, but 2022 in particular made it very apparent that it has been two years since there's been an in-person anime expo event. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it was pretty rough. Uh, so people, people can read about that. Oh, I swear. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I felt it really was... bad for you, but I was thinking I really, the part of me really kind of wished I was there because <laughs> I missed it, but I felt really bad for you because I saw the tweets. So. Yeah. yeah, well, fortunately, I missed uh, some of the gnarly parts, like where the fire marshal had to step in and stop entry on within the first hour of AX opening the doors <laughs> because yeah. there were too many people trying to enter at once. I was like I think probably at breakfast at the time. So I missed all that chaos. But uh, yeah, it was definitely an experience. I'm glad I'm going back to conventions now. Picking AX to be my first convention back post-COVID was probably not the best decision. But it was a decision. And now I'm, I'm feeling a bit more confident about going to events in the future. So if you're interested in seeing uh, some of the stuff that's relevant to Toonami, uh, that happened at AX, you can check out that article when it's up on the site. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that, Celia. Uh, CJ, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at CJ Maffris. Um, I'm sure those who follow me already know where to find me and my apparently stupid takes that I seem to throw out every time. If you take them seriously, that's your fault, not mine. Uh, <laughs> hashtag King Petty. Uh, get a brain. Anyway, uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can find me on podcasts. Uh, I am kind of in work 
all the time. This is actually the first weekend I have in about since seven weeks. So awesome that I could be on a podcast, although initially I thought I wasn't supposed to be on. So apologies on that uh, for showing up a little late for this. But um, I'm going to be mostly at work, so you probably won't really see me much at all um, just because, like I said, this is the first time I've had a weekend in about seven weeks. um and it's not gonna let up anytime soon so this is kind of a rare like oh can i be in a podcast yes absolutely i will help out on that so um hopefully i'll be able to obviously be on more help out more things like that i mean i do my weekly uh article of this week from toonami you know celia's gift from us uh that i really like that i'm glad that we're able to keep continuing uh i felt a need to plug that in there just because she's back with us on this episode but, you know, you can find that. Um, that's really all that I, I do that's of relevance or importance to TF right now. <laughs> um, so hopefully I can kind of change that because I do want to do like a really in-depth Food Wars article to just rip rip the thing to shreds. <laughs> oh my God. Are you a masochist? What's wrong with you? No, no, no. I'm I'm trying to cancel it pretty much. <laughs> Rewatch some of that content to get it fresh in your brain. Yeah, but the first season was excellent. It still is. And honestly, if you read up to after the central arc, it's still really decent. I think the anime is poorly done because, and I've even talked about this with some of the cast members too, where the, it was pacing. the, the pacing and the seasons were inconsistent. Season one, 24 episodes. Season two, 12 episodes. Season three, 24. It's just this back and forth. There's OVAs that were important that we didn't really get either. So the, it, it was it was really fumbled a lot, which is depressing. And it just when we got to past Central Arc, it's just, oh, God. It's, and I love that series so much. So I just was so frustrated. They skimped but, on the details, which was part of the fun. Yeah. So it's it's kind of one of the things where it started off where you were actually learning how to cook. And then it turned into just going to McDonald's for fast food. That's, That's really my analogy. All I care about is the, the, the food. Everything. Right. So. Hey, I just remembered something else that I really liked about Yashihime. The openings and the True. endings. Yes, the second opening yeah. is really good. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so as much as I want to get back and to start doing a little more editorials, a little more research stuff. No, I'm not getting the itch to do a documentary, but maybe a video project of some sort. I'm hoping to get more time on that and to not feel scared of COVID considering my battle with it. Uh, so we'll we'll get to, you know, I'll get back to normal, especially hopefully when work's a little less hectic. But you yeah. can find me on Twitter. You can find me over there when I'm on and when I have the available time to, you know, tweet out whatever I feel like, whether it be about the blog. I do have at least one thing planned. Now that, you know, Primal is coming and things along those lines, just to kind of keep more interest around the block. Because I do think as, you know, staff members here at Tanami Faithful, those at other Tanami fan sites and whatnot, the onus kind of does fall on us a little bit to try to keep a lot of the interest, I guess, a buzzing. You know, we, we do the best we can because like Tanami is only on Facebook, really. I think if they had their own Twitter page, it would be a little easier. But I, I do think that we kind of drop the ball on keeping that a little bit whether it just be regular vibe tweets or even just you know commentary from those like sketch myself uh kuro celia v lord alien whoever you know what i mean just like us so hopefully i can kind of get back more into the flow of that i've just been really really uh professionally busy at a job in an industry that i clearly know nothing about even though i've been in it for nine years so okay we've heard this take before so moving on um Pink Patty. love you cj but yeah. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Happy Kuro Kitty. And, and I just want to say that I, I have this project I've been sitting on for about a year, um, a, a writing project that I wanted to share with you guys, uh, all the listeners. But um, I've had some some health issues that have been challenging me, and that between that my my home obligations and work obligations, which all of us have. Um, I haven't been really able to devote the time I'd like to to produce it, but um, now that I'm getting things a bit more under control with my health, I'm hoping that I'll be able to re reveal it or re-reveal it and, and have something exciting for you guys in um, late summer, early fall. So uh, be patient with us, you know, we're, we're working on fresh content the same way, you know, Adult Swim says that they're doing. <laughs> we're working on fresh content too. And um, hope, ho hoping, uh, hoping you'll you'll tune in for the for the next big thing. And um, that's a podcast. Mm -hmm.